welcome to ALSB's Pedagogy Podcast. I'm Eric Sater of Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. Join me as we hear from Academy of Legal Studies and Business teachers and scholars as to tips, tricks, and lessons learned in the classroom and beyond. ALSB focuses on the fields of business law, legal environment, and law-related courses outside of professional law schools. This cast is hosted by ALSB's teaching and pedagogy section. Happy August, everyone. A big thanks on joining us today for our season two kickoff of the ALSB Pedagogy Podcast. I'm hyped that we survived our first year and am even more excited to see what guests are able to share with our audiences this new season. So whether you are new or enjoyed one or more of our inaugural season podcasts, you are incredibly welcome and appreciated. It is my hope that all teachers in the area of legal studies and business benefit from listening. And if you do, let us know. Contact information should be available from wherever you found us today. So on to episode one of this year, I am pumped that we have a familiar face with the Academy today in hearing from the voice of Jahan L. Drabagi, Jahan will be sharing the background of Constitution Week activities she helps host at her institution, telling us some of her favorites over the years, plus some that didn't go quite as planned. But arguably, most importantly, she'll be presenting information to our listeners as to advice on how any campus has the ability to create and benefit from celebrating the Constitution themselves alongside their students. I promise you'll learn something I know I did. For instance, all institutions receiving federal funds are required to hold some sort of Constitution Day activity. Did you know that? Let us know on the Spotify poll available now through July 2023. Welcome aboard. Today's episode was recorded August 17th, folks this is our first podcast of the new academic year i am excited for our first guest to be jahan eldrabagi also of the academy of legal studies and business she was just telling me that she is now an officer with the ethics section and jahan will be explaining to us today uh, some of what has been going on with constitution week for a number of years now Uh, Real quick, before Jahan hops on, I will say that she is an associate professor of business law and ethics in the Department of Accounting and Business Law out of Georgia College and State University. Uh, Jahan, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Hello from Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you have a decent Georgia background uh, from what I was reading anyways. Undergrads in public relations and poli-sci out of the University of Georgia. I, I parallel some of those majors in my own path and then your JD from the University of Georgia as well. Double dog, as they say. <laughs> so the only fun fact uh, I found about you, and I didn't do too much <laughs> digging around, uh, is you got Citizen of the Year a couple years ago. Uh, but I didn't know if you had anything else that about your journey, your pathway of how you ended up where you're at, um, that you maybe wanted to introduce before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of your Constitution Law Week. Well, you didn't dig up that I was state president of Georgia 4-H. And so, oh. <laughs> uh, okay. but, but that's sort of fundamental to my path. So okay. 4-H, uh, their motto is to make the best better. And they really focus on public speaking and civic engagement. 
And so I was really inculcated in the, the 4-H world when I was growing up and really believed in service to your community and your country. And uh, when I was in college, I also continued with 4-H as a camp counselor and just continued the lessons that I learned by engaging in service, uh, for instance, with Habitat for Humanity. And it's just very core to my identity is that spirit of service. And so that citizen of the year uh, was just um, I, uh, funny, not funny, but I, I come from a small town. And when I went, I returned to my small town as an adult, I just rolled up my sleeves and started to serve. And a few years later, um, I was recognized, um, I think through my service with a mentoring program and I started a community band and organization. So that's uh, what that was. And I'm actually looking at it on the wall, this plaque, and I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, that's cool, right? You never know uh, what you might learn in these. So that is um, more than I could have asked for. Uh, so band is neat too. So my, my fun fact, I don't think I've shared in one of these conversations, I had a Guinness World Record for the world's longest drum roll. Uh, so really? it relate to some of that instrumental or band background, <laughs> uh, at least years ago. <laughs> Were you in the marching band? I was, I was in the marching band. Yeah, me too. What, what is your, uh, do you play an instrument in the band still or just I, help uh, create the organization? I created it and I served as conductor for years, but I play alto and tenor sax. Okay, all right. You are uh, impressive and busy. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made time. And you were just saying you've already started classes. Um, so I'm very busy week for you. Yes, we started yesterday, but once you start, it's you get on the train and you just let it go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm excited to hear more on Constitution Week, and I had actually heard of your Constitution Week activities a bit before, so I'm glad we have an opportunity to share this more widely. Um, I'll preface our conversation by acknowledging that you had an article uh, with one of your colleagues that came out in the Journal of Legal Studies Education a few years back, uh, and I'm going to make sure that I provide that citation for listeners uh, to take a look at that. Um, so I'm sure we will cover that to some degree, and so there might be some duplication um, at the same time. I know it's been a couple years, and so I'm sure you have a lot of updates for us as well. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> looking at this, I I'll tell you one thing I learned off the bat in terms of taking a peek at that publication, and that is that there's an actual mandate to do uh, Constitution, at least day activities. That's um, right. Today, I think that surprises a lot of people. They don't realize that there's a congressional mandate. Essentially, it's under an appropriations bill that for any public institution that receives federal funding, that they are compelled to have some sort of Constitution Day programming. And Constitution Day is September 17th, uh, which commemorates the September 17th signing of the Constitution. Awesome. I admit uh, I was aware of Constitution Day, but I don't know if I totally recalled exactly what <laughs> the origin was. So uh, I'm glad you're updating us all on that origin story. Maybe on that origin story, you can tell us, kind of maybe start at the beginning. Um, did you help start this at your institution or how did this come to be uh, a few years ago or when, ex when exactly I guess your start date was? So, Constitution Week celebrations at Georgia College started, to my knowledge, probably before this, but uh, my colleague, Matt Ressing, who is now at the University of Georgia, we worked together at Georgia College for several years. And 
he is a constitutional law enthusiast. I wouldn't, yeah, you know, he's <laughs> certainly a scholar, but he just loves all things constitution. He went to William and Mary. He loves going to their constitution week preview uh, every year that's in September. And he wanted to bring something to the campus of Georgia College. So he started with a Supreme Court review event. And the Supreme Court review event is the core of Constitution Week programming here at Georgia College. It is an evening where we have four to six practitioners, scholars, judges who come and break down a particular case from the recent term for students. We emphasize that undergrads are, are our audience. So we want the talk to be accessible to undergrads. And it's just a fascinating shallow dive into uh, four to six cases uh, every year. And so he started that, I believe in 2012. So we're looking at 10 years of Supreme Court review on campus and it just ballooned. His enthusiasm for all things constitution was infectious and he started partnering, partnering with other people on campus like diversity, equity, inclusion office, uh, in, um, international office and people wanted more events and it, it just grew from there. So I, I really started helping in 2015. Awesome, and I know MAPT is still also involved with ALSB. So uh, if folks go to a future conference, uh, make sure you talk to Matt as well on some of uh, these origins. Yes, I believe he serves as the uh, president of the pedagogy section. Yeah, he, I think, uh, just stepped off. So he, okay. uh, he was our, our first one and, and led it for the last couple of years. And now he gets to enjoy his, his fruits, uh, I guess, the fruits of his labor from, from afar. So I'm not sure what will be next for Matt, but maybe we'll talk to him about that in a different podcast. Sure. All right. So I'm looking to uh, Georgia College Public Liberal Arts University. I admit I went to a liberal arts uh, institution. I, I love that. I think that ties in really well with uh, Constitution Week. And one of the first, I know, kind of pointers or tips you have for others engaging these sorts of activities was cross-disciplinary partnerships, uh, which relates well to liberal arts. Do you want to tell us a little more, and, and you just alluded to it, of is this just a business law activity or do other parts of the campus interact and, and any tips on, on how we could pursue that as well? I really appreciate you asking that. Uh, when Matt started this, it was his enthusiasm and excitement that got other people involved. Uh, so besides DEI and international, he also brought in music. And so now every year we have a Tracks on the Trail concert. It's music from presidential campaigns that our Department of Music puts on as part of our Constitution Week activities. But it still was fundamentally organized by Matt. He was trying to bring in other people. And so when I started, I proposed to him, we really need to get more people on board. We need a committee. And so I reached out to political science, our provost, and I said, is it possible that we can have a university-wide committee that has representatives from every college that we have here at our university and let it be more official and we have funding and a budget. And so the provost was very supportive. And so now our university-wide committee, it has been in effect since 2016. And we now have representatives from each college. And so now when we meet together, we're really um, thoughtful and intentional about including events that would be relevant to all different types of students. And that continues to this day. It's really exciting. We have really enthusiastic health sciences representation. So when we talk about healthcare, 
issues as they relate to the Constitution. We have education uh, professors, and they've it's just been a really amazing um, melting pot of ideas that have has grown with the, the committee approach. Yeah, that kind of leads into one of your other uh, recommendations is on the choosing of topics uh, with learning outcomes, I know is noted in your prior article, institutional priorities, current events. Uh, does this, uh, I guess, university-wide committee help choose those topics or uh, do you have any additional maybe input and advice of, of how those come to be? Uh, so we have a, 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 a meeting in March when we talk about the structure of the week. Uh, what are the events going to look like? What days are we going to do the events? We leave them open-ended to a large extent at that point because we realize that so much changes between March and September. We, we really want to reflect the climate of the day when we have Constitution Week events. It, it's hard to balance inviting speakers and being flexible enough with the topics, but we, we are very committed to wanting to be as timely as possible. So we just have bare bones in March and it really isn't until July and August, really uh, now I, I'm, I'm reaching out to speakers today to, to confirm our events uh, because as you know, I mean, Supreme Court cases come out, uh, you know, announced June, July. And so we, we want to have speakers. It's, I often invite someone who has argued before the Supreme Court who had a case decided. And so I just, I find what are some of these notable cases and then I just cold call invite uh, one and they almost always say yes. So I just recommend to anyone who's interested in having events like this on their campus, not be afraid to call the top constitutional law scholar in the country. Don't be afraid to call the person who has argued before the Supreme Court 30 times. They are very likely to say yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, I know too, in, in giving your response, you note some of the timelines and administrative background. I wanted to, to briefly let uh, listeners know there's actually a Gantt chart you all decided to include as an appendix uh, in this past article too. So if you want to see a timeline, and I'm sure it's shifted and, and people can alter it as needed, but it is kind of neat to have a nice uh, basic timeline that was attended, uh, that was included in that article. That's the public relations background. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Uh, so you already talked about these speakers uh, and, and just not being afraid to call. I, I know also uh, you've alluded, at least in print, to, you know, don't be afraid to look local. Don't be afraid to utilize your network. Um, how about to on the cost side? Um, what do you do with, maybe you can tell us what your budget is, or, or maybe not exact budget, but, uh, you know, to, to how, how much money would you need to put on a program like this? I am happy to be transparent and disclose our very <laughs> slim budget. We, we operate on what may be perceived as a shoestring compared to especially R1 institutions. Uh, each, we get about a total of $3,500. Uh, and that comes from our various colleges, like each uh, college may contribute $500. The library can contribute 500. We get some from endowed chairs and together that amounts to between $3,500 and $4,500 each year. That, those funds go towards uh, flyers, banners, uh, those sort of materials to get people that they know what's going on on campus. 
We also um, use some of that for if we do have an honoraria, um, but we really, uh, we shy away from that. We really try to bring in local people. And so often the local people are kind enough to just do it out of the goodness of their heart. Um, and so really only once or twice have we um, used those funds for that purpose. Uh, anyone who's from a state institution probably is familiar with the how funding is complicated. You can't use state funds for certain things like food. You have to use foundation funds. And so um, that also can be somewhat complicated. We have to uh, ask for foundation funds if we want to have any food at the events. Um, so if you are someone who is starting a program like this, I think it's really important that you sit down with an administrator uh, or, or administrative assistant. They are really great about knowing the weeds part of bureaucracy of educational institutions, and they can help you with knowing um, where funds are allowed to go. Awesome. Uh, how about beyond funding? This doesn't seem like you'd necessarily encounter administrative resistance, but did you find that the administrators were excited to have something like this? And I don't know, are there, are there any other um, tips for getting maybe administrative buy-in uh, to host something like this? Uh, that's interesting. I think anytime that you do something or do something new <laughs> or put yourself out there, there's always a naysayer that's likely yeah. or someone who is concerned or you'll have a ring hanger, someone who likes to wring their hands. And um, it seems that in the last 10 years or seven that I've been involved, there have been events that we've held that have caused us to get called to an office to explain uh, that it will all be fine, basically. Uh, just concern over, you know, Constitution Week, of course, is going to have material that uh, is challenging or may spark debate. Uh, and some people may be concerned that it may spark more than that. Uh, but a part of our commitment to having all these events and to talk candidly about these issues is to show our students and to show our community that civil discourse based on education and being informed is possible. And uh, that it can, it's not only possible, but it can happen, it, it can be very successful. And so I'm always so proud every year to host people from both sides of the aisle, from both ideological, from, from different ideological spectrum and to show the students how they are friendly on stage and that, that it's not these angry talking heads that they may see on, on some, you know, media outlets. And uh, I'm just so proud of that. And that's part of our, I always remind our committee members, make sure you invite people from both sides and remind them that you are to be an example to our students on how you can have conversations respectfully. And on that note, at least once you all uh, did an assessment and maybe you've kept up that practice, um, but part of that assessment uh, included in your article showed that political engagement was uh, partly an outcome here in factors such as, let's say, voting and trying to register to vote and becoming more civically engaged. Uh, can you talk a little more about outcomes and, and maybe what you hope students uh, take away from this? Yes. So well, first, in regards to political engagement, another core part of Constitution Week is uh, voter registration. So our uh, the American Democracy Project 
is uh, active on our campus and we have our faculty affiliate who always coordinates um, a table. She has table tabling all week during Constitution Week. Uh, we also have various debates um, and now a core part of our uh, event on the first day is a welcome and a student debate where we provide current event issues and we give, we divide the students in half. They each have two minutes on each side and then they, they have to impromptu do a like a public forum style debate. And, and we cycle through five different issues during that one hour. And it's just this amazing, great activity for the students to say, hey, we can do this too. We can play devil's advocate. We can not be angry at each other. We can kind of leave our emotions to the side and, and have these intellectual debates. So it's really um, fascinating to, to show, demonstrate to students how you can become politically active and still like the other person on the other side of that conversation. And um, so there's that, the debate we have voter registration. And then in terms of incorporating content, classroom content, uh, we encourage all the faculty to either require students to attend or incentivize attendance in some way. And many of us have created assignments based on attendance of the events. So my students must attend the Supreme Court review panel. Because I moderate that, I know what the content's going to be. And so I create a worksheet that they must then turn in afterwards based on that event. So every single year, students always say, I thought it was going to be the most boring thing ever. And I was just so surprised about how engaging it was and how much I didn't know about the Supreme Court period that, the, the, you know, we, we do an introduction on, you know, of course, like basics of how many people are on it, but, you know, sort of the liberal block and the conservative block and the splits on the decision and unanimous decisions and things like that. And then also the content of the decisions. So you segued a bit already for me on the student debate. Uh, how about other student involvement? Are they in at the planning phase at all or to what degree beyond attendance? Uh, and I suppose that debate, uh, are students involved in this all? So all of the, okay, so we do four to five days of events every year. And on the four days, we always have a noon discussion. And that event is always intended to be interactive or where the students, it's not just people coming to present, it's where they are posing questions and the students are engaging. So all those noons event, noon events are interactive. Um, in terms of the planning, we have through the years had students as part of our committee and so we always have one to two students on the planning committee who contribute their ideas. And one of them in the past suggested that we have a, um, when, when there was an election, election year, we had uh, student representatives from each of the like campus-based parties mm -hmm. to have a political debate. So that was one of our constitutional activities. So certainly we, we, they're in on the planning stages, they're part of the week. And their assignments are also then based on, on this week. So this question is not as fun, uh, but I think <laughs> it's important to uh, address. Uh, how about just advertising, right? I mean, the, the administrative side. How do you make sure people know about this and, and show up? And, and maybe has your attendance grown over the years? And, and, and what have you done to, to improve that? Our attendance has grown because of faculty um, 
not investment, I don't know what the word would be exactly, but faculty commitment to this event. So as we convince others to either require students to attend or to incentivize participation, we've seen numbers balloon. And so another thing I love about our event is that these people come to our campus and they're almost guaranteed at least 100 in audience, especially at the evening events, because of our faculty either requiring students to attend or, you know, encouraging them to attend. So uh, that has, that, that helps more than anything else. In terms of advertising, we, we have a mass communication program here and they have a capstone course that's a mass communication practicum. And so we always try to get one of those students to work with our constitution week and be our, our sort of advertising specialist. They will then work with university communications to get out consistent messaging, uh, posting on our, we call it front page, which is our like our email advertising, posting flyers, putting out the, uh, what do you call them? The yard signs. We have giant banners that go on all of our, not on all, we have like four banners that go on the front of our buildings. So it, you know, it's constitution week on the campus of Georgia College. <laughs> I love how integrated this all is. So I hope you're all proud of, of, of that in particular, uh, but it also sounds fun and, and maybe it's not always fun to begin with, but I hope it's fun when it's over. Uh, it's, so it's super fun. I, I want to mention too, that on, on SCOTUS blog, uh -huh. they now have uh, end of term reviews uh, for the Supreme Court term different events across the country and so I see at the University of California they have one um, there's one that uh, American Enterprise Institute but we're gonna they invite other institutions to post on SCOTUS blog as well so we're going once we have our entire schedule pinned down we're hoping to include that on SCOTUS blog. Awesome I'm pulling up some of the SCOTUS blog stuff now and yeah there's a decent number of folks at the University of California, yeah, a bunch of different uh, events going on. So I think yours is well-deserving to be added to some of the listing here. I wanted to mention that one upside of COVID mm -hmm. is we, you know, everyone learned how to do things online and we had one entire Constitution Week that was entirely online. But we, that year, our Supreme Court review had an incredible panel. We had the guy who argued the Bostock case. He's from mm -hmm. Georgia. We had Larry Lessig at Harvard University, who has argued before the Supreme Court many times. We had this Anil Khan. I'm just like thinking like the people that we had, because bringing them here to campus was not a concern. We yeah. would, we would not have even thought to invite them before because we couldn't afford to pay their travel. But since then, we now bring in at least one or two people to join our in-person panel discussions online. So we are now able to bring in these constitutional law scholars from elsewhere or these people, Supreme Court litigants who aren't necessarily from Georgia. So that's a very exciting opportunity that has expanded our pool of speakers. You're hitting all my questions, Jehan, before I get to them, but that's good. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna ask how COVID has changed things. <laughs> Uh, you're right. I think it, it makes us aware of a lot of opportunities, including those remote opportunities uh, that we didn't give enough uh, attention to before. And so that's awesome. All right. Well, the flip side of that is it makes uh, when you bring in someone, uh, one panelist who is online and everyone else is live, it does add some complications with audiovisual and making sure that you have 
appropriate equipment and personnel to handle an event like that. Uh, it's not something, I think when you're in a classroom, you can easily bring someone in, but if you want to bring someone in as part of a panel and then also film it so that other people who are online can attend as well, it's, all, it's added uh, time and effort. So I would just caution people to realize that if you have this vision, you need to work with your campus AV and, and we have to pay them as well. So part of our budget goes towards AV per event. Sure, no, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, I, I think depending on where our work histories are at, sometimes we're not used to paying our coworkers, but it's a very common reality of larger institutions. So yeah, right. make sure we budget that. How about a two part for you? Um, how about a favorite and a failure? <laughs> and, by, and by failure, you know, maybe something you learned uh, from, from, from something that didn't go quite as planned. If, you know, maybe everything's gone great, but something awesome that you've done over the years and something that you have learned, uh, learned from. Okay, failure. I got it. I got failure really. <laughs> That's first. One time we had uh, two speakers and the topic was death penalty. And our two speakers were both incredible like incredible pedigrees, interesting backgrounds. The first person spoke for 50 minutes and left five minutes for the mm, second person. Yeah. So I was not in charge of that particular event. And I, as the time crept by, I felt myself getting redder and redder and just mortified that we had invited this other person who'd driven two hours. We're about two hours from Atlanta. Yeah. To come to our institution and get, you know, short shifted. It was just, I felt terrible. So that is something that has never happened again, because now I sort of do a multiple trainings on time management and time cards and intervention on how to rein in a speaker. So that happened maybe my first year. And I'm very conscious of respecting all of our speakers time. So that's, that was a failure. Another, I, I don't know if it feels like a failure, but we used to do a <laughs> constitution day festival. Okay. Uh, so we would be out on the front lawn and uh, our concert would set up a stage on the front lawn and then we'd have other entities and party. It just, no one came on the front lawn. It was hard to get people there uh, and it was hot. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was kind of a hot mess. So I, you know, I love the idea of an outdoor event, but maybe not for Constitution Week. <laughs> Um, so that, that would, those would be fails. And then ex best events. I, I love our concert. Uh, now that it has gone indoors, it blows me away. Every time I go, it is inspiring. And um, it's just it combining music and history and politics. It's just a fascinating, at a liberal arts institution, it's just perfect. It's, uh, you know, combination of disciplines. And then another, um, there's been so many successes. What I love the most is when people from opposing or diametrical views have these beautiful conversations, respectful conversations. They, they both state their positions. They both state the evidence for their positions, the, the reasons, and, 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 they, and you can see them listening to each other. And it just, I think it's such a great example to students to see that. And so I, I really try to um, uh, get word of mouth on the people that I speak to. Just, are they the type of people who listen to other people? Are they respectful? 
so I, I do try to do research on these speakers. I don't just cold call someone because they have the most publications. Sure. I listen to their interviews that they've done. I listen to them interact with other people because I, I want the best example for our students. So that sounds like a best practice, but also one that takes a bit of time. Uh, how much, uh, like, like how much time, I guess, uh, and I know it depends on how many people are helping you and all that sort of thing, but how about just you individually, would you say you devote each year to Constitution Week? Well, I am rolling out of, I've served as a chair for five years okay. of, of this. And so in a lot of ways, I'm like an administrator um, in terms of, I delegate quite a, like each, each faculty member is in charge of an event. Gotcha. And each of them has a helper for the event. And they also have a graduate student available and the mass comp student available. Okay. So we have about four people on site for each event. Um, my part of it is designing the, you know, because I'm from a PR background, I, I do the flyer. I, I, put together some, the social media stuff if we don't have a mass comm uh, person. I, some, I put out flyers in, in the art science if I don't have someone else to do it. So there's also the working on the funding, reaching out to each department. Hi, it's Constitution Week again this year. Would you mind you know, contributing this much? If so, you know, and telling them how to do that. And so I, I hours, probably a total of 40. Sure. I mean, a solid if I was just working one full week, but I, it's never one full week. It's two hours right. here, three hours here, but it'd probably be a full work of week, uh, work of week, week of work. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, you know, with a good delegation, which seems like you do and, and, and teamwork, it seems manageable. And I imagine uh -huh. you could start small and grow it uh, over a few years or so too. I feel like when Matt was doing it, it was, I, he was, not that he burned out. He has so much enthusiasm for the subject, but trying to coordinate so many events on campus is is challenging. And so, mm -hmm. I think this model where we we shifted, and I, Matt and I were together when this this transformed in this direction. And he he just it's so much it works a lot better um, to have people take ownership of each event, and and so that that there's no one person who has to make sure all the pieces are in place. Sure. What about the future? And I know you're still trying to get it all settled for this year, but maybe even beyond that, is there anything you hope to see develop and change uh, over the next, I don't know, five years, whatever it might be? There was something I wanted to say a second ago, but I'll, I'll delete. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so for the future, I know Matt Ressing would say, we should make this an, a conference that we invite people to attend that he said, we put so much effort into this week that he thinks our event is becoming, he, he goes to other constitution events sure. and ha having seen those, I think he thinks we're now comparable. If not, you know, we have gotten to a point where he thinks practitioners, scholars may want to attend. Uh, I don't know how that would change how we do this. I don't know if it would be an online component or we'd invite people to come, yeah. but that's sort of, uh, a dream or a thought that we might add on. I don't think we would, we, this is for our students first and foremost. It's for our school, it's for our community, but we would like to bring in maybe a more regional and national audience uh, to this event. So that's one thing. 
Uh, and the other is to always, um, or I, I would, I'm very happy with our cross college collaborations. I, I, I just wanna make sure that our colleges continue to commit to sending a, a person from each of their colleges, which does remind me of what I wanted to say a little bit before. Mm -hmm. We don't just have representation from colleges. We have a library representative. We have a serve representative and serve is our um, techno technology department. So they're the ones who help us with technological needs. We have someone from staff represents staff. She's in the Center for Teaching and Learning. And we have someone in AV. So it's not just, you know, faculty. We have very core staff and they are so critical to the success of this week. Uh, for instance, our library representative is the one who manages our website. She's the one who posts everything and, and manages content. So I, I, we as faculty members definitely need to think, I think we all recognize how important staff are, um, but it's important to include them if, if you really want a successful week. Perfect. Uh, well, Johanna, I, I also was thinking when you were talking about planning this, I'm like, that just sounds like they're planning a conference. So maybe you're not so far off <laughs> from, <laughs> from the conference that you're talking about there. It, uh, but right. I actually, yeah, go ahead. No, that's your, yes, I get, that's what Matt must think, you know, when he looks at this, but yeah, I love, I kind of love conferences and I love planning events. And I, <laughs> again, that's that public relations background of that planning. So um, it's something that I enjoy. And so if, if the people that decide if you decide to do this on your own campus, then you need to find someone who has a heart for who likes to do parties or like events. Well, I've gotten through uh, most of my questions and or you hit them without me asking them, um, but is there anything else? I know you were excited to, to come on and, and share stuff with us. Uh, anything I'm missing that you feel like you still wanna provide or, or talk about today? Uh, Georgia College, we're really proud of Constitution Week, and I'm, I'm personally really proud of how the institution as a whole has embraced this programming. And I love that our students get this opportunity to meet with lawyers and judges and scholars from across the country. I think it's just so important for not just students, but all citizens to always remain open-minded and to listen and to, to hear what other people have to say. And that's what we provide during this week. We give this opportunity for, for people to listen and to be thoughtful and for us to think about our constitution, which so many, which is this living document. Those of us who, who teach constitutional law, we, we're all familiar with the, the different views on constitutional interpretation, but just to see how every day that we live our lives, these provisions of the constitution speak. And, and they speak sometimes from the past and they, and they change a little according to what's going in the happening today. And so it's just so interesting to have this week of observance to, to think about something that is quite so old, uh, be new again every, every year and every day really. And Johanna, if you have inspired others to uh, take on this cause alongside, even beyond the federal mandate, uh, are they welcome to reach out to you for guidance? I know I'll certainly put resources on that I hopefully uh, they will check out first, 
Um, but do you mind if someone emails you or what would be, uh, I guess? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no. So September 17th is Constitution Day. That's yeah. probably an easy lift if you just want to do one activity on September 17th. But uh, if you would like to reach out to me, and I think I could speak for Matt Ressing too, you're probably happy sure. to um, speak with anyone. We, uh, my email will be available, I imagine, uh, through the podcast. And uh, you could also call me anytime as well. Awesome. I'm always uh, reluctant to put people on the spot, but we have some really uh, friendly folks and almost everyone on here is a member of the Academy of Legal Studies and Business and and it's seldom they say no uh, to help another. So uh, that's great to hear. Absolutely, I'd be happy to talk to anyone. Uh, well, Jahan, that is all I have then, I suppose. Uh, thank you again for sharing tons of great information with us and also for doing an awesome job. Uh, I'm glad you're on. And if you have another exciting, amazing thing, uh, I hope you're willing to join me again. Oh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. All right, got it. Have a great day and great rest of your first week. You too. Episode one of season two complete. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jehan Aldrabagi on Constitution Week. If you are listening to this shortly after publication, we are just now delving into the fall term, and I wish everyone a fantastic start to their years. If you have an idea for a podcast, suggestions for our show, or would like to hop on as a solo guest or panelist, please reach out direct through your podcasting service or via email to me at easater at iu.edu. That's E as in Eric, A as in Alan, S as in Sam, A as in Adam, D as in Dog, E as in Elephant, R as in Rick, at iu as in Indiana University edu. I'm Eric Sater, and I'd love to hear from you. I also was recently appointed the Academy of Legal Studies and Businesses Chair of the Teaching and Pedagogy section. So if you have any questions specific to our section beyond just the show, I'd be happy to yield those. Stay smart, stay safe, and come back for another listen. Adios for now. <laughs>